0: Welcome to episode number seven of The Sectarian States. Why dying on you and the only patriot problem who are crypto-Nazi? I can think of is yourself. Stop calling me a crypto-Nazi. Let's stop calling back you in the goddamn face. You'll save plaster. George Bush doesn't care about black people. What they speak of Baloch's incompetence is this vast right-wing conspiracy that has. Terrified to find myself ending my career in the covering America's potential second civil war. We stand at a moment in time where there is speculation, and understandable speculation at that, that the President of the United States is willing to use violence to keep his seat. In other words, there are rumors that the sitting president is contemplating a coup. He is firing military advisors who would be reluctant to help him in his coup attempts and replacing them with those who may have no problem with preventing the lawfully elected government from taking power, or, you know, something like that. Some of the more jaded among us may laughingly say that perhaps the chickens are coming home to roost. For decades, the United States military and or intelligence services have been going around the world, spreading unrest. Our military, once composed of volunteer militias from the various states, now has bases in at least 80 foreign countries around the world and employs over 2.9 million people, and that's not including the other parts of the military-industrial complex, only the ones who directly receive a paycheck from the United States Department of Defense. Some anti-federalists wanted it written into the constitution that the United States would not even have a standing army, yet here we now are with the largest and most powerful military the world has ever seen. First, our military was supposed to be there to defend our shores. Then, with thoughts like those from Alfred Thayer Mahan, our military should be used to protect U.S. interests around the world. Then our military must be used to defend democracy by helping our fellow democratic countries and now our military must be used to spread democracy by the barrel of a gun. One thing I've heard to the idea that the United States should break up is that if we break up we won't have the world's largest military anymore and therefore we won't survive. The only sane response to this is that the only way we can survive is if we get rid of our current military. Idiots who think that history started on September 11th, 2001 tell us that we have to have a strong military to attack the bad guys over there so they don't attack us over here. If they bothered to check history before that, they'd know that the reason the bad guys are attacking us over here is because we're already over there. We don't even have to go back to ancient history before anyone alive today could recall. We could start in 1953, when the United States government intelligence services bloated with money to fight a doomed regime in Russia overthrew the elected Prime Minister of Iran and installed a puppet dictator for the crime of wanting Iranian oil to benefit the people of Iran and not their previous colonial overlords in the United Kingdom. The Iranians rightfully overthrew the rule of the Shah in 1979, although they put in power the current regime of the Iranian Islamic Republic, which is, frankly, not all that great either. Like everything that the U.S. doesn't like, the U.S. has only helped increase the power of the rulers of the Islamic Republic by sanctions in war. Give the people of a country a flag to rally around while they're under attack, and they will rally like nobody's business, much like Cuba or Vietnam or North Korea, if we attack the people of those countries, all that does is cause the people to rally around their leaders against the United States. The 1980s saw the Iraq-Iran War, where the US played both sides of the conflict and then managed to also support anti-socialist fighters in Nicaragua at the same time in the same kind of scheme the 1990s saw the u.s fighting iraq who had invaded the tiny emirate of kuwait most people think that the war was over rather quickly with the u.s pushing the iraqis back to iraq in early 1991 over the course of like a week or two but that's not where the iraq war ended over the next decade the united states would continue to bomb iraq the embargo against Iraq would result in countless deaths over the next decade. At one point, the former Secretary of State and Medal of Freedom winner Madeleine Albright said of the deaths of half a million Iraqi children that, quote, the price is worth it. Worth what, exactly? The price paid in blood by those innocents bought exactly nothing. And this is but one tale of the Islamic world. We could tell the tale of Israel, or Somalia, of Libya, of Palestine, of Lebanon. In his Declaration of Intent, Osama bin Laden told us a couple of things. His primary complaints weren't our freedoms, our apple pies, our short skirts. To convince people to blow themselves up in fiery conflagration, you're going to need a bit more than that. Luckily for Bin Laden, and not so lucky for us, he had a nice little list. Let's read a bit from it briefly and discover exactly why it is that they hate us. First, for over seven years, the United States has been occupying the lands of Islam and the holiest of places of the Arabian Peninsula, plundering its riches, dictating to its rulers, etc., turning its bases in the peninsula into a spearhead through which to fight the neighboring Muslim peoples. Further down, the best proof of this is the Americans continuing aggression against the Iraqi people using the peninsula as a staging post, even though all its rulers are against their territories being used to that end, but they are helpless. Moving on. Second, despite the great devastation inflicted on Iraq, And despite the huge number of those killed, which has exceeded one million, the Americans are once again trying to repeat the horrific massacres as though they are not content with the protracted blockade imposed. Third, blah 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 support of Israel, who I think we can all commit, uh, if we're being honest with ourselves, have treated the Palestinians rather poorly, perhaps even criminally poorly. No, seriously, the crimes of the Israeli government are vast and against just about everyone, including us. No, seriously, they spied on us? They stole our nuclear secrets, possibly tried to blow up one of our own naval vessels? And that isn't even counting the stuff that's happened in the last, I don't know, three decades. Let's just say that, regardless of whether Al-Qaeda's actions against us are justified, their grievances against us are. We fought a revolutionary war against less if the people of the United States had been through a quarter of what the Iraqis or Iranians or Egyptians or Palestinians or whatever had been through, well, some of us would definitely roll over, but judging on the amount of cosplayers running around with bats and trash can lids, not to mention guns, there would quite likely rise a series of cells of people in the United States Patriotic Americans, we would call them, left-wing and right-wing sometimes even working together who would combat whoever was doing that to us by any means necessary, including, say, flying planes into their buildings. It's the dark American dream realized in films like Red Dawn, and we would do it. If we were fighting for freedom and democracy and apple pie and short skirts, then the world would run out of planes before we ran out of buildings to fly them into let me be clear, the actions of Al-Qaeda on September 11th were evil, but their evil was in response to the United States' evil. I can condemn Al-Qaeda, but I can also understand why they did what they did. And let's be frank, Bin Laden is winning, yes, he's dead, but his point was not to destroy the United States with some planes and some bombs, but to draw it into an unwinnable war that will bring the downfall of the United States through exhaustion and bankruptcy, and well, that's kind of where we're headed. So what does this have to do with the breakup of the United States, the theme of this podcast? It's power. Power corrupts. If a country has the power to meddle in the affairs of practically every single other country in the world, it eventually will. Our military might is not a strength, but a fault. Because there are people who will see this tool and decide to use it. If we just had the military strength to defend ourselves, that's all we would do. Because that's all we could do. But we have the power to destroy the world ten times over, and that's before we bring out the nukes. The people who are attracted to wielding that kind of power are the people who would wield that kind of power. It's Not the kind custodians we wish they would be, but rather the megalomaniacs who want to exert our power everywhere. Will of the people, whether that people is us or the people being invaded, be damned. But break us down. Instead of one nation, make us two, or five, ten, fifty, a hundred. No longer would a single country have so much power. Again, were people angels? Having that much power would be no problem. But if people were angels, such power wouldn't be necessary in the first place. And people are not angels, so that much power is a very big problem. We are protected from foreign invasion by two rather sizable oceans. Thanks to our country's protection of the rights of the people to arm themselves for war and revolution, if a foreign country did invade us, there would be a rifle perched behind every blade of grass. There are countries with smaller armies who have no problem with self-defense because of soft power, diplomacy, and the like. Andorra is in no danger of invasion by either Spain or France. Liechtenstein is in no danger from Switzerland, Austria, Germany, Italy, any of their neighboring countries. If we were so worried about invasion, we could form some kind of treaty the states formed from the breakup of the United States could either all join NATO or join together in some kind of defensive pact. That will keep Texas from invading Oklahoma and China from invading California. We could split our nuclear arsenal amongst the states by whatever metric you can imagine and that alone would prevent attack. North Korea is safe from South Korea because of the unimaginable destruction North Korea can visit upon the South. North Korea gets nukes It's just, that's just that much safer. Libya was bullied into giving up its nuclear program, and because of that, we were safe to invade it and depose their leader. Now, I'm no fan of nuclear weapons. I'm no fan of the government of North Korea. I'm no fan of the former government of Libya, nor the current government of Libya, now that I think about it. But a nuclear deterrent is a very effective deterrent. If we continue on our path of overwhelming military, we will continue to fall. It seems counterintuitive, but right now we're guaranteeing the independence of countries who have little or even no military with which to defend themselves. The U.S. military is the defensive military of Iceland. The U.S. military is a defensive military of Montenegro. The U.S. has positioned its forces in countries such as Latvia and the Baltic regions as a deterrent against Russia Never mind how we would feel if Russia placed strategic forces in Tijuana or Montreal, we are overstretching our military all across the globe because of our hubris. If we just had people stationed defensively in our allies' territory as a tripwire against our supposed enemies, that would be one thing. It would be a big thing, but it wouldn't be the end of the world. But we can't not get involved in fights we can't not try to topple governments we can't not try to foment civil war in governments who we do not like we just can't not do those things and that's because the lure of power that our massive military including the intelligence services has doesn't attract defensive people but those who would want to do good in the world We can't just place troops on the border of Ukraine. We have to fund the fascists there to spite our foe Russia. We can't just go into Afghanistan and eliminate the threat of Al-Qaeda. We have to overthrow the unfriendly government there and support the cronies and crooks who now make up the government. It's not that we have to because you or I want to, but the people who are willing to do what it takes to maneuver themselves into positions of power to affect these things are also more than willing to sell whatever soul they have left to gain even more power, if only in some backwards place like Taliban ruled Afghanistan. Power invites those who would use it. Douglas Adams once said, and this is a long quote, The major problem, one of the major problems, for there are several, one of the many major problems with governing people is that of whom you get to do it, or rather of who manages to get people to let them do it to them. To summarize, it is a well-known fact that those people who most want to rule people are ipso facto the least suited to do it. To summarize the summary, anyone who is capable of getting themselves made president should on no account be allowed to do the job. To summarize the summary of the summary, people are a problem. End of the quote. And Adams is right. Whether people are the small number in charge of a totalitarian government, the few in charge of an oligarchy, the many in the case of a democracy, you give these people power over other people and they become a problem. To solve that problem is not to select or elect the best person. Eventually, we're going to screw up and select or elect the not best person. No, the solution is one that was present in the United States from the beginning and has been forgotten. That we must limit the power of the people who are to be given power. We tried that with the Articles of Confederation, then we tried it again with the Constitution, but the greedy, power-hungry people kept taking more and more. As our nation became larger and larger and more powerful, the President, the Senators, the Judges, the Congress critters, all, took more and more power to themselves. The solution is not a piece of paper, all that the Constitution ultimately is, as a barrier to power. No, the solution is to disperse the power. A country of 350 or so million people with the combined economic power of all of them is an awesome thing, beautiful and terrible, treacherous as the seas, stronger than the foundations of the earth, etc., etc. All will see me and despair. That's another movie quote. Sorry. To pass the test, we must give up the power. We must deny that power to those who would seek it. Those who would abuse such power have already proven that a paper document telling them no is about as effective as one might imagine a post-it note written by a child on the chocolate chip cookies would have on an adult who has no regard for that child. Not at all effective. But if we could separate the chocolate chip cookies amongst several households, if we could separate the power into several distinct jurisdictions whose own power is not just that written on scraps of paper. To save the Republic we must sacrifice the Republic. If we don't sacrifice the Republic, the Union, to save us, then someone else will sacrifice both us and the Republic to the gods of empire, where we will all suffer. That's it for me today, everyone. And on a technical note, I apologize for the non-schedule of this podcast. I do it whenever I get the time to. And amongst other things, I'm reading and researching for this very podcast. And also have to balance time to do work, this podcast, research, leisure, lots of video games, etc. If you enjoy what I do here, please rate me on whatever podcatcher you may be using. You can find me at, you Had me at Hayek on Twitter. If you have questions or comments, or if you just want to read my random tweets about politics, booze, or cute animal retweets. Until next time... You take it easy.